Recorded live. Welcome, everybody. This is Let's Run.com's Weldon Johnson, joined by Jonathan Galt for a special edition of Let's Run.com Track Talk. We've got the World Indoors Preview. I don't know. What we should, if this was boxing, we'd have a name for this matchup. Mo Farah, the world's number one, no doubt about it, the number one distance runner in the world, taking on the world number two distance runner, Jeffrey Kamborwer. And they will all be up against Bedin Karaoke, who is undefeated in his life at the half marathon. That is tomorrow in Cardiff, Wales, Great Britain, you know, Mo Farah's home, t- home turf, and Mo's going to have his hands full. So it's going to be a great one. So to celebrate that, hype it up a bit, we decided to have a special edition of Track Talk. And we also will look back at the recently concluded, very successful World Indoor Track and Field Championships in Portland, Oregon. John, welcome. Good to be here, Weldon. I'm, uh, you know, we were in Portland last week. I wish I was in Cardiff tomorrow because uh, it, it's going to be a fantastic race, and I can't wait to watch it. As a half Brit, I'm not <laughs> sure if that's a proper term, but uh, yeah, you, you should definitely be there. We, you should have angled for that one. I want to be there too. Um, I, I just, I hope the the public sort of is up for this one. Um, it's a let's run.com first. We have a splash page for an event that hasn't even happened, but it's one of the, I think a little bit of a problem with the sport is that things get lost. People act like only the Olympics matter. And in some ways without a regular season and, and, and that sort of thing, you know, I see the logic of that, but this is a world championship tomorrow. Mofar didn't have to show up. Um, he could easily, he's got his legacy. He could easily just show up. Uh, in Rio, try to tack on two more gold medals and, you know, say I'm the greatest of all time. But here he is tomorrow, home soil, taking on two guys who look like to be on top of their game right now and at a distance that definitely doesn't favor Farah. Um, it, it should be a great one. Um, where, should, where should we start with this one, John, sort of and, and looking at, at the three guys, I mean, there's other guys in the field that run under one hour, but I would be shocked, and I think you'd be shocked, too, if they could challenge. Yeah, I mean, I think there is one other guy um, who is, a, you know, pretty good at putting it lightly. He's he's very good. Diadola of Ethiopia, he's run 59.06. He was uh, the bronze medalist in this race two years ago. So he's maybe the guy who could break them up, If but I think uh, if Kuroki, Kamoro, or Farrell run – their best race. They're going to go one, two, three in some order. I mean, the the area I wanted to start is just what do you think of Mo, De, Mo Farah's decision to run this race? Because I saw in the press conference there was a tweet, David Monty had a tweet that he said, you know, Farah said he was running it because it's on home soil. But, you know, the World Indoor Championships are in Portland. That's pretty much home soil. That's actually less traveling uh, that he would have to do than going all the way back to Cardiff. And I know that Mo loves running in the in the UK, but I don't know. I, I see it as partly being on home soil, and I, I think part of it is just if you look at the last few years, he's sort of been moving towards the longer distances in his spring build-up. In 2012, he ran World Indoors. He got beat at World Indoors, but then still swept the Olympics in the 5K and 10K. Then the last three years, he's run a half marathon in the spring, and 
has still delivered on the track. I, I think he really likes to build his, his strength and work on his strength at this part of the year. So half marathon seems sort of natural, especially as he's getting older. He just turned 33 two, two days ago. So I don't know. I, I think the half marathon makes sense, but you know, I, I love that he's running this world championship. He's facing Cam Warrell. He's not running the New York City half, which I think he would have won easily or Lisbon where he's able to run fast last year. I mean, what, what do you make of his decision to come out and, really lay it on the line against these two studs. I, I love it. Um, I think it's good for the sport. Um, I, I guess you're right. He could have done Portland, but I think this is a bigger event um, in the UK for sure. It's live TV coverage, BBC. Um, that's a huge deal over there. Um, there's probably more, you know, actually coverage for this event than there would be for the World Indoors for sure in Britain. Um, you know, granted the last day of the World Indoors was on NBC here. But, you know, Mo would be one of many competing. Um, I think sort of with the half the last few years, he sort of showed up and beaten people. And I think he likes the challenge. I think sort of he realizes he's at that stage in, of his career where, you know, why not try to take on the best? Why not think a, a little bit about his legacy? Um, last year, pre sort of in, in, the, in the 10K afterwards, he said, which one of you guys is let's run? And, you know, I sheepishly raised my hand and he sort of tar- started talking about his legacy because, you know, oh, he couldn't beat the, the best guys in a fast race. And um, so I, I think this can add to it. The other thing that isn't talked about is money. Um, usually world championships don't have appearance fees, but some of the speculation in Portland was that, you know, that the people in Cardiff have to be paying him some sort of appearance fee um, to be running. Um if they did, great. If they didn't, great. Either way, he's running. He doesn't have to run this. And this sort of matchup is what the sport needs. You know, I think um, a lot of times it's, you know, Mo's a name. Kim Warrer and Karaoke are not outside of sort of let's run.com. And we need to, to stop presenting these guys as sort of faceless Kenyans. Um, and sort of, you know, when these with three guys of this caliber go at it when they don't have to. Let's celebrate it. Um, and I guess we shouldn't say also don't have to. It's, it is for a world championship. So, uh, uh, you know, it, the other angle is, you know, if Mo ran the 3K and Galen was running the 3K, that takes away from Galen. Galen's from Portland, that sort of thing. Ended up Galen didn't make the team. But, uh, you know, I don't know how much any of that or, or factored in at all. But um, yeah, the other thing I, I think interesting – go ahead. Oh, I, I think one thing that you mentioned is that, you know, Cam Warrer and Kuroki are sort of these little-known Kenyans, and I, I guess that is true for the for the average running fan or maybe for the casual running fan. But like you said, I, I think that's sort of disservice. These guys are incredible runners, especially Cam Warrer. I, I would say if you like the sport of running, watch Jeffrey Cam Warrer run a race and you'll be a fan because he he goes out there, he runs hard, he runs from the front. You know, he didn't run from the front at pre-loss yet, but he did at Worlds in the 10K, he took it right to Mo Farah. He, you know, he his World Cross Country uh, Championship last year was basically the same way. He went on a tough course in Giang and just hammered from the front. So, you know, and he's so versatile as well. You know, he was second in the New York City Marathon last fall. And he's he's only um, 20, 23, I believe. And, you know, this guy, he's a stud. He's an incredibly talented runner. He's fun to watch. I would say, you know, he it, it's a disservice to just say that he's, you know, one of those fast Kenyans. He's a guy who 
could be a star in this sport for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't get it doesn't really get much better than you know, world cross country champ, world half marathon champ. He hasn't won on the track, but he's been second, you know, and that was largely because a guy named Mo Farah was in front of him. So he's an interesting, you know, up and coming star of the sport. Without Farah, everyone would know his name right now. Um, but yeah, you know, for some a little more casual visitor and let's run listening in, like, yeah, pay attention. This guy's an absolute sort of complete stud, um, you know, ready to go. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting sort of, uh, and uh, there's the book two hours on the sub two hour marathon and John, you wrote a review on let's run It's by Ed Caesar. It's a tremendous book and it just traces you know, the history of the marathon, but also it goes to like Berlin, some of these top, with some of these top guys. And one of the guys one year was Ken Warrer, and he's sort of supposed to be what, I think just kind of some no name there. And he hung up there. I think it was the world record year, right? And, and you could sort of see the, the promise then and now and sort of just, there's, there's a tremendous story behind all these guys and it gets lost sort of when we dismiss them as, oh, he's just some guy. He's going to fizzle out in a couple of years. But um, Jeffrey's young and on top of his game, and it, it sort of makes sense, I think, for him to show up here uh, and sort of take a shot at, at Farah. And I think he, I think most, I think you probably. Well, we can talk about who the favorite is, but the other, the, the third guy, though, definitely sort of the lesser known guy is um, Betting Karaoke, and he he's the one guy who who I would argue th- doesn't. I'm kind of surprised he is here. He's making his marathon debut uh, later uh, next month in London, and yet he's here. And despite making the debut, he's been racing cross-country in Kenya. And then last week he did this crazy double. Uh, talk about that for a second. Yeah. We we had an article um, from Andy Arnold that we ran on the site that was telling us about going to the Nakuru track and field meet, which was on this dirt track at about 6,000 feet in Kenya. And the one star that he came away most impressed by and that also Renato Canova came away most impressed by was uh, Ben and Kuroki. He, he ran the 1,500. He won that in 342, which, you know, when you convert to altitude using the NCAA converter, that's about 335. And then 45 minutes later, he came back and ran the 5,000 against, you know, some extremely talented runners. He, you know, Thomas Longasiwa, Olympic bronze medalist. Uh, Nixon Chepseba, he's a 329 guy. Jairus Birach, Paul Coetz, the sub-eight sequelers. And he just destroyed that field over the last 1,200, um, running, you know, 1338, which equates to about 1308 uh, with the altitude conversion. So, and he ran that, remember, 45 minutes after winning a 1,500. And this is all coming a week before... He's running the World Health Marathon Championship. So, you know, clearly he's in incredible shape, uh, at least, you know, for the shortest stuff. And I'm assuming if he's training for the marathon, he's in good distance shape too. But I don't know. I, I think we talked about this a little bit. Those imp- performances, as impressive as they, as they are, it kind of doesn't really make sense to run that hard when you've got a world championship a week away from it, you know, or I guess it's eight days. It was on Friday. The race is on a Saturday. So, I mean, Weldon, what do you think of the decision to run those races? I, I don't get it. Um, when I saw it, I just sort of figured, you know, some of these guys do these sort of crazy meets in Kenya. They're kind of 
I think of him as low-key meets, but then he just drills all these guys. So when I first saw it, I thought, oh, he's getting a little carried away, but he wants to be sharp for this thing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a different mindset than sort of the very structured American training system. Um, and, but my first impression was, well, oh, well, you know, he's just doing some shorter distance stuff. That doesn't carry over for the half. And I completely forgot, wait, he's doing marathon training. He's making his marathon debut next month. So those two things don't square at all. It's even more sort of crazy and, and outrageous. Um, and that's why I like it. Like, I don't know, there's so many different ways we can sort of go about this sport. I think in America, a lot of people follow one very, very structured way. And, uh, you know, this shows that there's a, a different path for sure. Um, I, I, all three guys, uh, there's a lot to like about this one. Um, just one, you know, mainly that they're showing, showing up and going at it. Yeah. Um, so I guess to, let's turn to the sort of unknown. We, we could discuss who would win this race, but under normal con, con circumstances, but the, thing that might make it even more interesting or who knows maybe completely runs it but let's stick to this it's going to be a tremendous battle uh is the weather it looks like it's just atrocious english weather excuse me welsh weather um that's going to be on tap tomorrow uh what's the latest forecast you've seen well i saw uh the one that we posted on preview it had about a high of 54 degrees fahrenheit the winds were it looked like 20 to 30 miles per hour, I think, with gusts up to about 40 miles an hour. I mean, that's really pretty old. You can't get much worse than that. Uh, I guess it was a little colder. Um, but when you have the wind blowing that much, uh, I remember I was speaking to Ben True last week, and he basically said this was the conditions that he had for his half marathon debut in Houston. And, you know, you run on the first few miles like that, and you get wet, and your clothes get so, and then you turn into the wind, and you just get chilled to the bone by that by that uh, wind. And it's sort of he basically said he got pneumonia from it, I think, or hypothermia, one of those one of those two. And uh, I think it was hypothermia. And yeah, I, I don't think that will necessarily happen because they'll have the wind at their backs for the middle part of the race, so they might not get as chilled. But you know, it's really it's going to be tough, and I think it's it's not going to be fast. You know, I think looking at some of the stuff they said in the press conference, Mo Farah said he expects a tactical race. Um, I do too. I don't think we're going to have, you know, someone winning it in 59.07 like Ken Worrell did a few years ago, or 59.08, whatever he ran. You know, I think it's going to be a winning time. Could even be on the other side of 60 minutes. Uh, so it's definitely going to affect the race. And I think it does help Mo Farah because, you know, I think Ken Worrell his game plan ideally would just be to go out and try and run, you know, sub 59 and break everyone. Whereas now you've got to be a little more tactically strong and Mo Farah is a very tactically strong runner. Yeah. I think definitely the way to beat, to beat Farah is to just run away from him. Um, last year, Mo showed up at the Lisbon half. He got the win, but if you didn't watch that race, you didn't see, he was dropped in the middle of the race. Uh, it was sort of uh, unusual to see a guy like that come back, get dropped, come back, and then sort of kick away to victory easily at the end. Um, but, you know, if it's Cam Warrior in the middle and he gets away, he's probably not coming back. 
So I think the template was presented in Lisbon on how to beat Mo in a half marathon. And if there's weather, inclement weather, I think that definitely favors Farah. Um, Because if it comes down to the last 10K, like, wait, who's the best 10K runner in the world? Um, But, you know, running in terrible conditions, wind, even rain, you know, it'll maybe mix things up, make it more like a cross-country race. Uh, it, it, it should be, it should be a good one. Um, and most had some, you know, great battles on the the roads. He raced Bekele and Gerber Lassie and I guess Great North Run one year. So, um, I, I'm just super, super excited for this one. Um, should, should it's. You know, what do you think the odds of anyone else breaking into the the outside of that top three, winning this thing? I mean, we're we're talking less than ten percent, right? Uh, I, yeah, I would have to say probably less than ten percent. Um, as I said at the start of the show, Adola from Ethiopia, you know, he, he is a very accomplished half marathon, but half marathoner. But he raced Mo Farah in Lisbon last year, and he got spanked. Um, he was over a minute behind Farah, and he was only fifth in the All African. All Africa Games half marathon, which was in September. Um, so he, I mean, he's a good guy at his best. He's, uh, you know, very strong. He beat Jeffrey Camwar, or actually the New Delhi half marathon in 2014. But I think these other three guys have just shown they're all in very, very good shape. And you know, uh, he's just he doesn't have quite the accomplishments of Farah or <coughs> Camwar or, or even Kuroki. So I, I don't know. I, I don't see. I think if someone does win, it's him. And then, really, you know, if, some, if it's anyone else, you're just counting on a big breakout. And sometimes that does happen with uh, some, you know, very young guys. There's Edwin Kip, too, is a Kenyan who you might want to keep your eye on. He's 22 years old, and he's run 59-26. Um, if he really busts out, you know, maybe he could win surprisingly. But I think the chances of one of the established stars winning is much greater than one of these lesser known runners breaking out. Yeah. Um, let's, let's, let's turn to predictions because we, we got to still break down the women's race. And then also I want to get in some words about world indoors. Um, but you know, the $64,000 question, who do you think takes this one? Well, when I was writing the preview, this this wasn't easy for me, but to pick a winner because I do think, you know, these guys are all very strong. But I'm going with Jeffrey Camwar, and basically, um, this guy. I mean, half marathon is his best distance, and he. We already know he's amazing in the 10,000. He's an amazing marathoner. Well, maybe not amazing. He has run his marathons before New York one amazing but his new york marathon run last fall was so i just think you know he's the world champion at the some of two of the toughest events the half marathon and the the uh, world cross country those are the ones that you really need to be able to hammer from the front and stay focused for a long time he won both of those races and i i just think he's an elite runner you know this is in no way disrespecting most power is an exceptional runner and I think, you know, with the conditions tomorrow, I wouldn't be surprised if he sort of hangs on Cam Warrior and is able to outkick him. Um, he's very strong, and he's, you know, he's run 
22 last year at the Great North Run. Granted, that course is slightly downhill, but I don't know. I just think Cam War, I guess it's more out of desperation than anything. If Cam War can't beat him in this race at this distance, I don't see how anyone beats Mo Farah um, at 10,000 or the half marathon, you know, for the next year or two. That's a good point. Yeah, if you don't beat, beat Mo at this, how are you going to beat him on the track in a 10K? Um, so, I don't know. I was going to say Mo's going to win, but I'd like to love to see the rivalry at, 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 at on the track this uh, this fall. Um, I mean, this summer in Rio. So, I think if it's, if it's bad weather, and you're talking to be in over one hour, I think if it's bad weather, it could be, you know, over 101. I don't. I just don't know how much it would slow it down, but um, let's say the winning time's over one a, one hour and thirty seconds. Sorrow wins. If not, Camora wins. But don't overlook Garoki. I mean, it's just crazy what he did last week. I don't. I don't know how to assess it, but um, it's definitely worth a watch. I haven't been excited this much about a non-marathon or a, you know non-major track race in a long time. Yeah, um, this is the most, most hype I've ever gotten for a uh, half marathon. I'll say that. So uh, for those of you guys, all who want to watch, you got no excuse. It's live on the internet. Uh, NBC Sports Extra for those in the U.S. So if you have cable package, you should log in. You can watch there. Or uh, on the BBC in the U.K., um, the men's race starts at 10, 10 p.m., the women's race at 9.35 a.m. That's tomorrow morning. Um, we'll be talking about it. Let's run. There'll be threads for people who want to watch elsewhere, find places to watch. So uh, it should be a great one. The I guess real quick, a note on the U.S. team, because it's it's kind of interesting. Um, Jared Ward, who <laughs> made the Olympic marathon team, will be making his U.S. national team debut, which is kind of interesting. That a guy who made the Olympic team has never represented the uh, U.S. before, um, and he's bouncing back, what, uh, six weeks after the marathon trials, um, so it's kind of interesting that he would push to do this, but I think, you know, maybe he just wants to get used to wearing the USA and, you know, not, not pass up that opportunity, the trying to get the rest of the team, Scott Bowles is on the team. Can't can't find my list. John, help me out here. Um, yeah, Richie, uh, Ben Bruce, and Jim Spizak are the three other runners on the team. So, it I mean, you know, it, it's not the strongest possible team, and I think that's understandable. There are some athletes who maybe just feel felt like you know Galen Rupp would be a great addition, obviously, but he's already had a busy last few months, and I think piling the world half on top of that would be a big ask. And you know, some guys, it's it's a little awkward point because the marathoners coming back from the Olympic trials marathon, maybe not all of them are hundred uh, percent ready. And then, you know, the other people building up for a track season, you know, it, it might be the best case for someone, you know, doing a, a 10,000 focusing on the 10,000 to run this event. But I think a lot of the guys in the U S if you look at them, uh, you know, like Chris Derrick, he's been hurt a little bit. Hassan me, he focused on indoors. A few of the other guys, Ben True was, was going to run the New York city half, but, he got hurt. And then if you look at the selection procedure, it's basically just based on marathon, half marathon time or 20K time from September until uh, January, I believe. 
and that ruled out some guys. I know there are a few guys, you know, Sam Schlanger and Diego Estrada on Twitter were talking about how they weren't selected, and Schlanger even said that he was offered selection by USATF after the 20K chance last fall, but then somehow didn't wind up on the team. So that might be worth digging into a little bit. But I think, you know, the, the guys on this, I mean, Spizak's been running pretty well this year. Jared Ward obviously ran well at the trials. Um, these other guys, we'll see what kind of shape they're in for a half marathon right now. But I, I'm not expecting too much out of the USA men. I think the U.S. women have the, the better chance at doing well as a team. Yep, I agree. So turning to the women's race, um, it could be pretty much an all Kenyan affair. I guess we last champs, it was one through five Kenya sweep. Yep. Um, which is crazy when you think about it, that Kenya's fifth best is beating the uh, best of any other person in the country. Adam State did it. Paul Stoneham, you're listening. Good friend of mine. Adam State did it in the D2 National Championship cross country. But that was Division II cross country 25 years ago. <laughs> to do it at the World Championships is completely a different matter. Um, but the Kenyan women are – they've got four under 107 this year, right? Um, so, uh, I don't know. Where do, where do we start with the women's field? Yeah, I think there are uh, two, two women who really look to be the, the favorites here. And that's uh, Mary Wasara and Cynthia Limo, both Kenyan, obviously. Uh, and they've raced each other a lot recently. They've uh, eight times since the start of 2015. It's 5-3 in favor of Wasara. Um, they've both run sub-67 half marathons so far this year. Wasara ran 66-29 to win Houston, which was top 10 all-time, or well, puts her top 10 on the all-time list at the time, but... She was since bumped down by Limo and several others who just ran this ridiculously fast uh, race at the RAK Half Marathon in the United Arab Emirates. And Limo ran 66.04 in that race, which is actually the number three time ever, or number three performer ever on a record eligible course. So it basically comes down to do you favor the fact that Limo lost to? Um, with Sarah in Houston earlier this year when they raced head-to-head, or the fact that Limo won this loaded RAK half over the defending World Half Marathon champion, Gladys Chirono, and several other you know very talented women in this crazy first time, and that was also more recently. So, I don't know. I think it's between one of those two. I sort of lean slightly more to Sarah just because I do like it when someone wins head-to-head, but I think you know, I, I think it's a battle between those two. And then there are a few other Kenyans, you know, a few others ran in the 66-minute range in R.A.K. Half. That's Paris Chepchichia and Gladys Chezia. And you've also got um, one, you know, a couple Ethiopians worth watching, uh, Netsanak Gidneda. She was bronze medalist at World Cross Country last year. Gannett Yalu, um, she was 10th at this race two years ago, 10th at World Cross Country, and ran 66-26 at the R.A.K. Half. But... I think it's going to be mostly Kenya because apart from those two Ethiopians I just mentioned, their team's, you know, not particularly strong. There's a couple unproven younger runners and a few older runners who aren't quite as good. So I think it's going to be between those two. Yep. Um, I, like you, favor uh, the head-to-head matchup. So, uh, you know, I'm leaning towards Wasera. 
Um, when everyone runs fast at something, you know, it's either just perfect conditions, perfect course, or what have you. You know, it, it's like the, um, you know, the marathon everyone runs in January in uh, Dubai. Um, you sort of, you know, add about a minute and a half, a half to those times on a real course, it seems like. Um, but let's let's turn to the U.S. team, and we also have a special guest on the line. First of all, let's, let's see if this works. Uh, Steve Magnus, are you there? We'll give him a second. Steve, we've unmuted you if you think you're there. Say hello. Um, but hey, guys. Coach, oh, there he is. Perfect. We didn't even know this was going to happen. We just <laughs> it. Steve's called in before on a training talk way back, and it stores the numbers, and it said Steve Magnus was listening. So... Uh, this is great to have you. Thanks for joining us, Steve. Um, we appreciate it. First, let's get the names out on the U.S. team, and then, Steve, you can you can talk a little bit about them because you're coaching uh, two of the women. Um, so it's, we have Janet Bauckham. Um She's now 37. Wow. Um, still fifth at the Olympic trials coming back. We've got three women coming back from the trials. Hillary Montgomery, um, Texas A&M runner. You know, got to love the people from Texas. She's got a 71.49 PB. Um, Sarah Hall, Steve, Steve knows her well. She was actually one of the three featured people, I think, at the press conference yesterday. Um, used to be known as, as, as uh, Ryan's uh, wife. Now Ryan's known as her uh, husband. Um, she's, you know, run nearly under 70 minutes and a half. Uh, didn't finish the trials. So hopefully she's fresher than everybody else. Uh, Brianne Nelson. Also, you know, just over 70 minutes, best of the half, and Kellen Taylor. So, uh, Steve, I know you coach Sarah. Uh, who else? Who's your other one? I was sort of um, – Hillary Montgomery. Okay, I figured Texas. I was about to go there, but I didn't want to make a fool of myself. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess just talk in general about, you know, I don't know, their preparation, sort of how you see the race in general, you know, what it's sure. like to have an athlete going over there. Yeah, I think it's well. It's it's interesting because for me, it's two different experiences, right? Sarah's um, been there, done this on on a lot of these world teams, um, and she's coming off the the trials, but has done a lot of half marathons. Has obviously run pretty well at it. The other thing is she Sarah bounces back really well, so it's not even a question of you know trials versus is she recovered. I mean, I think Sarah has proved by her her uh, world cross last year i think she can bounce back from marathons pretty quickly she has an unbelievable ability to so she's in the full swing of things and the other athlete i coach hillary's on on the opposite end of things where she's uh we were originally getting ready for a 10k but opportunity to run world half it's obviously her first uh u.s team she just just came out of college so it's totally different experience let's go over there get put on a U.S. jersey, understand what it's like to race at a world championships and just kind of go for the experience where I think Sarah's more um, using this as a as an opportunity to run run well and compete. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. How do you sort of, I don't know, outline goals for them? Is it pace goals or just get up there and compete or is it different for Sarah and Hillary sort of, you know, because a lot of times I think for the Americans – you know, it can be a little bit difficult when you go to a race and you're sort of outmatched a lot of times in terms of contending for the lead or, or the win, that sort of thing. And, you know, it's very different. Whereas a lot of races here, you know, they've, they've 
they're used to being up front. I mean, it might be a little bit different with a woman because they're used to having men in front of them. But <laughs> how do you sort of outline that? Yeah, well, I think this one throws everything off because, as you guys talked about, the weather is going to be atrocious, right? So, so pace goals go out the window. Normally, when you encounter something like this, it, it's it's a little bit of pace goals first, trying to run certain times. Um, but in this case, I think it's more competing. But I, I think if you look at the strength of this women's team, I mean, you've got um, four roughly women who can run 70 minutes in that range or better. I think their their overall team goal is to place as high as they can and possibly sneak in or at least match their their fifth place from two years ago. So I think that's just the dynamics when you're looking at the top three um, scoring. So I think for them it's more competing as best we can, almost treating it like a world cross-country race versus trying to go out and, uh, you know, trying to go out and run something fast or drop a fast time. It's, it's how high can we place and let's see how we can do it given the conditions because I think it'll be several minutes slower than than a normal fast course like a Houston or something like that. Yeah, Steve, you mentioned uh, Sarah's bounce-back ability and, you know, World Cross last year she was 20th and that was two weeks after doing a marathon. I mean, what is it about her that enables her to come back so strong even with a hard effort, you know, very close to the, the race. Yeah, she's just resilient. I think if you look at Sarah's talent, um, her her inborn talent, it's not so fat it's not, not so much that she has some like incredible aerobic ability or incredible speed. I think it's it's resiliency. Like she can handle a ton in training. She can handle a ton in terms of racing. You know, if you look at the frequency of racing that Sarah does, I wouldn't recommend that for almost anybody else but she can do it. She can pull it off. And honestly, as, as a coach, when we first started working together, um, it was, it was strange because my temptation was to race less and pull her back, but she really thrives on racing. So I think that's just, that's just part of her talent is she can handle a bunch of workload and she bounces back and you see that in her training and in her racing. Do you, have you talked to her about an event that you guys are going to focus on (laughs) this summer with, you know, the, the Olympic trials, is she planning on running them? And I guess what event will be the focus if so? Yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a little up in the air, you know. I think one of the best things about Sarah is her versatility. She's competed at everything from 1,500 to marathon now and, and done pretty well at, at most of them. Um, so it, that's still a process of figuring things out, I think. And, and with the trials, was that sort of – did you DNF? Was that more, you know, she's went for it, tried to make the team, and wasn't that once that wasn't, you know, if you do that, you're going to end up crashing and burning. Is that sort of what happened there? Yeah, I mean, it, it, going into the trials, um, she's always kind of struggled in hot, hot races, and we knew that. I mean, we knew it was L.A. the year before it being hot, and then a couple of other races where she fared, hasn't fared as well, but we tried to prepare for it as best as we could, but knowing you know, coming off Chicago where she ran 231 and felt good about it. We knew that she was capable of running in that high 220s range, maybe 227, 228. Um, and given who she was going up against, I think I think it was just a, a matter of let's put ourselves in position to make the team 
for as long as we can. If it clicks on that day, great. If it doesn't, well, then we rebound and come off of it. I mean, for her, I think her mindset going in was a fifth, a sixth, a seventh place didn't really do anything for her. It was kind of a, a go for broke. If it's there, great. If it's not, then, you know, it wasn't in the cards, but at least she kind of figured it out. So, unfortunately, it was one of those where she went for it, and then it wasn't there, but, you know, that was part of the part of the plan. Well, I, I applaud the effort. You have very few chances to make the Olympics. You might as well go for it, to my thinking. If you're just joining us, this is a special World, in, World Half Marathon preview show, and we've been joined by a surprise caller, uh, Coach Steve Magnus. And uh, co- Steve's coaching Sarah Hall on the U.S. team and Hillary Montgomery. And, Steve, how could I forget Hillary Montgomery? Uh, you know, you paced her at the turkey trot, you know, the most, <laughs> most controversial thing that's happened in running in the last year. Forget about the Nike Oregon project. Stuff. I mean, I, I know. I, I I somehow find my ways into this controversy. And, yeah, wasn't expecting that one at the local local turkey trot. But, yeah. So. I, I guess, speaking of the other controversy, obviously you don't have to comment if you don't want to, but is anything happening about that? Or have you heard anything? Do you have anything you want to say? At World Indoors, sort of the British, a lot of the British journalists were there and sort of everyone was sort of speculating like, hey, this investigation isn't over. We expect to hear something soon, but sort of everybody's in a waiting mode. Do you know anything more than that? Yeah, yeah, you know, that's a good question. You know, I, I give it to USADA. Um, that they they conduct these investigations like a pro. I mean, I I I don't know any more than you do, even though I've talked to them on numerous occasions. It's just like what I would imagine a police investigation is. I don't I they don't drop any hints to me, so I'm I'm about as in the dark as you guys. So it's just one of those things where you just let the due process uh, run its course, and and above anything, you hope that um. You know, we we continue this fight for cleaning up the sport. Yes. Um, Well, we commend you for that effort and sort of um, coming forward. You know, people, I know you've gotten some pushback from there. And, you know, I was like, my take it is, unless, you know, you're not telling the truth, which has nothing, I don't see any evidence of that, you should be commended um, for for speaking out. Uh, If, if, Everyone spoke out about what they saw. The sport is not transparency. Let's, you know, put the cards face up on the table and see see what they show us. And um, I don't know. I think people are very critical of the whole Russian thing coming out and all the doping. And uh, my thing is like, no, we should celebrate this because we're, we're getting to a to a day when everything's on a on a level playing field. Um, so. It, it, it's, a, it's a long slog for sure, but uh, yeah, no, well, good. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say I think that's a good point to make. Um, I, I think above anything, as stuff needs to come out, and and as you guys are probably aware, if you go to any of these Diamond League or World Championships and stuff like that, it's always athletes talking behind the backs of, of everyone and, and mentioning, you know, the the Turkish fifteen hundred runners who won, and everyone was sure of that, and and other runners who have come out, and the Russians and stuff like that. That's all been talked about for years, and I think it's it's good that it's finally coming forward. And if the sport needs to take a step forward, which it does, then the the kind of behind the scenes things need to come to light for everyone to see, so that an effort can be made to clean it up. Yeah, it is amazing at these meets how people just 
talk about doping about a quarter of the time. It's a bit, it's a bit mm-hmm. depressing. Um, well, good luck to your athletes. We're going to kind of shift the focus to World Indoors. I don't know if you have any impressions on World Indoors sort of um, – and I, I, I guess we can use that as a segue, sort of, what was your sort of, you know, 60,000-foot view of World Indoors? <laughs> I, I mean, I think it was a great great meet for the Americans. I mean, I know the fields were a little bit weaker, um, which is generally what happens on a, on a World Indoors in Olympic year. But I think just seeing the Americans mix it up in multiple events from, you know, 800 to 3K uh, was a good sign. It's uh, It shows that I think what we're doing is working a little bit, and I think – Hopefully, it shows that the sport is getting a little cleaner, especially in the women's events um, with some of the Russian Sargon. Yep. Well, now we have the whole uh, intersex issue coming <laughs> back into things. But uh, that's at least, you know, there's no cheating going on there. It's just a debate on who should be allowed to compete. Um, but it was a tremendous meet for the U.S. And... Uh, well, you can you can stay on and chime in if you want, but we definitely appreciate you. Uh, it's a nice surprise surprise to have you on. Um, and good luck to your athletes on Saturday. Um, yeah, thanks. Some, thanks. Somehow, thanks, guys. It made the sun come out between yeah, in the next <laughs> what, twelve hours, ten hours. Hopefully, I'm hopeful. But thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, keep up the good work. We'll continue listening. All right. Thank you. Um. Yeah, so, you know, quickly we do want to, you know, spend about 10 minutes talking about World Indoors. And well, well, it was well, tremendous. Before we do, uh, Robert brought this up, actually, um, offline. You know, he told me that you ran against ran in the World Half Marathon Championship once upon a time. Uh, I was just wondering if you could give us a little uh, reflection on that experience. Oh, my God. I don't, it must be a private chat because it's not on the group chat. You guys are calling me out here. So I did the World Half Marathon Championships in, gosh, we should know the year. Um, so it had to have been, oh, did I, I think it's 1999. 1999, 1999. Palermo, Italy, in Sicily. Um, I was very excited. My first U.S. team. Um, and so I, you know, super excited. I fly over there. Uh, let's just say it's a good thing I wasn't in the women's race. I think I've been beaten by every women, member of the U.S. women's team. Um, it was a disaster. So got, there was a guy like Jeff Campbell on the team, and I was joking. Uh, so I got food poisoning a day before, and uh, had some, you know, body fluids exiting. And I, I, you know, convinced myself, like a lot of runners, that you know everything's fine. I'm gonna do okay. I feel okay the day of the race. And um, that wasn't the case. Yeah, de- diarrhea really gets you dehydrated. And I just was like, I just, which, I felt like I was running hard, but it was just was not fast. And I was running with guys from like uh, African countries you never heard of. And by the end of the race, I was so far behind. I kid you not, you did a couple loops. And they had kilometer signs. And the kilometer signs were walking to the finish. Like they weren't waiting for us to come by for the last time. They were like heading to the finish, like, these volunteers like I'm done. I'm not staying out here anymore. I gotta I gotta go drop off my sign. So you know I would hit like uh, the 18k mark, but it really be like 18.3k because they were already walking home. Um, so it wasn't good, but I, God, it's crazy looking back. Fortunately, 
I bounced back, and I never made the Olympic marathon team. I'm trials, and still haven't made the Olympic marathon team. And um, Chicago was like two weeks later or three weeks when I got back. Bounced back, qualified at Chicago. That gave me the courage to go quit my job, move to Flagstaff, Arizona for four months, and uh, Let'sRun.com was born. Uh, so fortunately, the food poisoning didn't last affect me in Chicago. Or, you know, I'm sure Robert will say it. I faked that it. it wasn't food poisoning. I choked under the pressure. But that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Uh, it was a fun event. Um, I got to represent the U.S. also at Pan American Games, which is a complete disaster. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I didn't even finish that one. Tim um, K on the track, but I had a Achilles problem. So my may everyone run better tomorrow than I did for sure. Um, any other questions you want to ask me? Hard, hard hitting journalist dick questions. Uh, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just thought it'd be interesting. You know, Robert was basically saying, and I think you're in the chat. It's in Slack. I don't know why you wouldn't be, but. You know, it's it, it, for some athletes, like, you know, Steve mentioned Hillary Montgomery. This is our first U.S. team. And I think for some of these athletes, you know, not everyone is going to get to run in the Olympics. Not everyone gets to run at the World Outdoor Track and Field. Yes, getting to put on the USA singlet in any event is, is a big deal. And especially, you know, the World Half Marathon Championships, it's, it's not a joke. It's a world championship. So I think it's just really cool that. I think it means a lot to these athletes to be able to represent their country on a stage like this. Yeah, it was a huge honor. And back then they had, you know, kind of set qualifying standards. You ran the world, you ran the U.S. Half Marathon Championships, which were in Parkersburg, West Virginia. It was very hilly. But, you know, the times to get in would be like 105 sometimes, somewhere around there. And that's five-minute pace. And I'm like, I can do that. I didn't realize how hilly the course was. It was just like kind of mountainous and um, – but I kind of figured like, I could look at stuff and I'm, I wanted to represent the U.S. I'm like – I just wasn't, I never made NCAAs. And I was like, well, if anything I can do, I can do that. So I just, you know, shot for that one. I, you know, remember coming down, I, you know, the top five were guaranteed, but guys like Todd Williams were there or something. I think I was seventh or something. I knew I was going to make it. I was just so excited. Um, I think Robert actually ran the part of the race or ran the race and came up to me afterwards and he couldn't believe that I actually made it. So uh, it was fun times. Um, but, so I think that's enough half marathon talk for the final 10 minutes here. Let's of let's run.com track talk. Let's turn to the world indoors. I'm Weldon Johnson. We got Jonathan Galt, Jonathan, big takeaways from world indoors. What were they for you? Uh, you know, my big takeaways was the USA crushed it. Um, and I think the other thing is that, you know, I, I think guys like Ryan Hill and Centrowitz, their results were, really, really good, and I'm not going to say, like, oh, they're automatically, you know, the favorites. Hill didn't even win his race, so, you know, maybe if he had timed his kick a little better, he he might have been able to, and Centrowitz did win, but, you know, Asphalt Kiprop wasn't there, some other guys. But I think it basically just says that in the 1500 and the 5000 at the Olympics, the U.S. is going to have guys who really, you know, these aren't just American-born guys who could get on the podium, you know, and it's, it's not like it's going to be a fluke, you know, that suited to run well in championship races. Ryan Hill's not going to be a guy who's going to go out and run 1245. Matthew Centurits, he's, you know, he probably, he could get under 330 this year, but he's never been someone like 
you know, Kip Legault or Kip Rock, who's been running 326 or 327, but they have closing speed and they have, you know, pretty good tactics. I think that's something Hill maybe still needs to work on a bit, but if you look at his, his uh, closes on the domestic circuit, he's, you know, he's a good tactician. So, I, you know, these guys, they're suited to run well in championship races, and that's basically my takeaway is that they're going to be, you know, they, they're definitely in the medal hunt uh, in Rio. Yeah, Ryan Hill sort of beforehand at the USA press conference said he was shooting for a top five, and I was thinking, guys, shooting sort of low. And then you look at the field, and after the prelims, it was Kajelka, Choge, um, Iguita. Duku, Iguita. And I was just like, wow, top five is going to be good. And, um, but, you know, he ended up really doing. You know, almost as well as you could want. Um, just, but the one thing, you know, outdoors it's a 5K, and he was bat. You know, he did get gapped a little bit here. So, you know, in 5K, do they go slow the entire way, or do they, you know, really hammer it out from like 1,200 to go? And does he sort of get some of that kick run out of him there, or you know, maybe one year they actually decide to make it a 13 flat race, and you know, Ryan yet hasn't shown he can run that fast, but. I think this might give him some confidence that he can compete in a faster race. Same thing. We already know Matt Centrowitz can, you know, maybe not a 7.330 race, but he can. he's run fast before. But a guy like Robbie Andrews now, just hearing him talk at World Indoors, he feels like he's at another level, and I think he feels like he can do well in a faster race. You know, in, in championship races, they're not – a faster championship race isn't a time trial race, you know. Um, it's maybe a – you know, low 13s. They're rarely under 13. And the 15, it might be a, what, 334 or something. Yeah, no, I think Andrews, I think you're right with Andrews because, you know, if you look at his performances at USA's last year in the track and then USA's indoors here, um, both of those races went with about 800 to go. And he was still able to close well in his penultimate lap and then really rip the last, you know, 150. And at World Indoors, you know, he, he was way far back, and I think he says this every race. You know, he does like to be towards the back because he can see the whole race in front of him, but it seems like after every big race, he's been saying, oh, it's just going to kill me. I was too far back. And he was, you know, at World Indoors, I think if he had just been a little further up, he could have gotten in maybe Nick, Nick Willis for that bronze medal at the line. Uh, but, you know, he, he's still learning. I think a little bit because he hasn't, he's been a good runner for a long time, but he hasn't been at the level he's at, uh, you know, really com- competing with some of the best guys in the world. He is sort of close to that level, if not on that level right now. And so I think that's one thing he just has to apply that maybe even against the U S he can be very far back and kick and still do well, but in a world championship final, you need to be at least sort of in contact if you want to, uh, if he wants to accomplish his goals. Yeah, and then also on the men's side, you know, we don't always people know this happened, but Boris Berrien, unsponsored gold medal. It's a pretty cool story. Um, he won't be unsponsored long. He's run fast too as well. So, you know, this thing wasn't a fluke. It wasn't the strongest of fields, but you know, in the, he made the prelim. He made the final on time, not winning his heat, and then I think he might sort of panic a bit in the final. He just goes out and time trials it and weeds wire to wire. I was very impressed with it. Uh, the women's side, you know, the, the women didn't 
take home any gold medals, but Ajay Wilson got the silver. Um, Shannon Roberry got the bronze, sort of. That was expected for Shannon. Ajay was a little bit less. Uh, Brenda Martinez didn't do as well as he was hoping to 15. But she's, no, you know, she still did. more. Brenda did what we were thinking she was doing. I didn't think she'd beat any of the Ethiopian-born women. She didn't. She got fifth, and she lost to four women born in Ethiopia. So I, I think that's pretty much what we expected from her. That's true. I guess I was just kind of thinking, hoping she would contend a little bit more, but you're right. But she still views herself as an 800 runner. And, uh, you know, the 800, it may be a new event, essentially. Ajay Wilson was the Olympic favorite, I would say, coming in. But if Ian Sabu and Semenya and um, some of those athletes who have ran well in the past and are now on an upswing because of the new IOC rules, you know, we're going to have more on that much run. But it's a very interesting angle because just in general and from a societal perspective and cultural perspective and what's fair and what's not and sort of gender rights and that sort of thing. But... Also, it very directly impacts the U.S. Um, we have the U.S. has two really strong metal chances um, that sort of could be tossed tossed aside, uh, depending on what the rules are. In, oh, I'd say more than two. I mean, if you throw in Alicia Montano as well, you got her, Martinez, and Wilson. I think all of them on the right day could, could medal. Um, but so the issue we're sort of you know talking around is. Uh, hyperandrogenism, which is how much testosterone a woman can have. And essentially last summer, there used to be rules in place that women with over testosterone of 10 to 1 could not compete, and those rules were suspended. There's some talk that they may be implemented again this year, but no one knows. Um, But sort of some old faces are now coming back and and, um, may dominate the 800 again. Castor Semenya has already run two flat in, what, 53 for the 400 in South Africa. But let's turn away from the track portion of things and talk about World Indoors as sort of as a um, commercial success or success in building track in America. We're going to build, bring on our special NCAA wrestling correspondent, Robert Johnson. Are you there? Indeed, gentlemen. I didn't want to talk about track and field. I've been listening to the show. I, I, I thought about hopping onto the line to talk to Steve Magnus, who I did recruit at Cornell. And thanks, Steve, for not coming to Cornell. He would have ruined my coaching reputation. A guy that ran 4-1 in high school, never broke four. Just kidding, Steve. But I've Maybe actually, you would have coached wanted, him to 350, man. How do you know? I've always no wanted to ask Steve why he didn't think he improved from high school and college. And does that make him a good coach? You know, like, I think people that struggle as runners sometimes are better coaches than people who have a lot of success. But then I guess you can make a counter argument of if you're such if you're so smart about running, why didn't you coach yourself better than that? Do you want to ask but, him? He's still on the line. Oh, is he? Yeah. Steve. <laughs> uh, you, you want to answer to your question? And I want a question. I want to answer a question to what you ran four one in high school. You see, you were in a, you were were you an all American in cross country? You made NCAA in cross a couple times, right? Yeah, I did. So, yeah, he wasn't like a complete disaster. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious as to when you look back at your own career, why do you think you ran so fast in high school but not after college? I've always wanted to ask you that. Sure. Um, I, I I guess the the bottom line on it was is I'd say I got greedy in high school and then afterwards in the sense that, my talent was probably similar to what I was talking about in Sarah's and that I could handle a whole lot. Um, so I would press the envelope as, 
as hard as I could. I mean, my freshman year of college, I, I was doing, I probably averaged 115 miles a week until championship season in cross country and, and not too much less than that um, afterwards. And um, I, I think that, that I had a propensity to overtrain and I needed someone to hold me back because I was too stubborn to uh, listen to my body. And I just would bang myself against the wall until I would break and, whether it was injury or just overtraining syndrome, like I just, I would just break. And I think as a coach, it's helped me what I'm very fortunate in that I failed because I think if I didn't fail as an athlete, I'd still have that inclination that everybody needs to like go to the well all the time to get better. And failing as an athlete was like what, got me searching for coaching. So if I think there was, um, it, it like put me down that path. Like I right. wanted to f- figure things out. And as an athlete, I never coached myself. So I had my college coaches in college. And then afterwards, I ran a little bit for Scott Rasco out, out with uh, Alan Webb in Virginia. So I never coached myself. So I think after going through these different systems and, like, seeing myself not improve, it was, like, an exploration of, like, okay, why this happened, what works, like, what actually matters. So, as a coach, it really helped. As an athlete, right. oh, it sucked. But, it was horrible. But, but you, 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 it's interesting when you brought up Rasko because you're still a proponent of high mileage, right? And Rasko was a guy similar to you. He had a lot of success in high school. I think he was running, like, 100 miles a week as a temp rate or something. But then – because he didn't improve, he's totally sour on the mileage front. So, you know, did I mean, are you still sort of a high mileage guy in philosophy? And, and did you ever talk to Scott about that? Yeah, no, I mean, that's part of the reason why I wanted to go out and train with Scott, because I think I, I wanted to experience something that was completely different from what I had ever done, right? And it was. I mean, we were out on the track doing all sorts of general strength and stuff. I mean, we'd be at the track for like five hours doing stuff. Um, so it was com- it was completely different than the mileage-based programs that I had had before. Um, so I guess in, in my own coaching philosophy, I mean, I, I think I'm, I, I don't, I, well, I'll give my recruiting pitch. Like, I don't think I'm a high mileage coach. I don't think I'm a low mileage coach. I think I do the mileage, which is necessary to get you to improve. So on my college team, I have uh, I have a couple guys who have run 100 plus miles a week. I have, uh, I mean my my top runner who's made NCAA's twice in cross, runs sub 14 in a 5K. He's he's only averaged maybe 70 miles a week right now as a junior, um, but he came in running 20 miles a week in high school. So 70 is you know almost four times as much as he was doing in high school. So it's been a process. So that's high mileage for him. Will he get up to 100 eventually? Um, but he has he has goals beyond college. So I think it's made me pay attention more to, like, the individual dynamics of, of training. Wow. Well, good stuff. I've gotten my unanswered question for that I've had in my back of my mind for, like, five <laughs> or ten years to answer. Yeah, you're trying so. to trash him anonymously on, on on the call, not knowing he was still still there. Yeah, so we're, we're glad we could bring Steve on. I need to bring, I need to bring, start doing my my training talks where I used to interview coaches again. But um, anyways, thank you, Steve. Well, that's no problem. They they were bringing me on. You guys want me to bring him on as my new expertise as an NCAA wrestling expert. And the yeah. reason why I, they asked me if I wanted to be on the call, and I said, you know, I don't want to. 
I don't need to regurgitate the world half marathon talk and I didn't go to world indoors. Um, but what I want to talk about is, you know, I, I think there's this idea that, you know, world indoors was a great success, you know, track and field is going to be back in America. And I think that that idea is, I don't know. It's almost, it's like, to me, I mean, I'm great. Vinland Anna, you did a wonderful job. I'm very successful. I, I mean, I think it's great that we're getting these meets. Don't get me wrong. This is not a criticism of Portland or Eugene or any of that. It was a wonderful meet. I'm glad it's here. But I feel like that idea that we're going to be super successful and super popular is sort of like a pipe dream. Or just It's almost like insulting on two different ways. One, it acts like we're the only people to put on a successful track meet. I mean, most of the people who have no idea what it was like in Soapot Poland two years ago, and Steve Soprano, our other employee, was at both. He was there in Soapot with me, and he's in, in, in Portland. And Soapot, you know, it had a huge arena. I, I, can't, I can't find the item by attendance figures, but it had like an 11,000-seat arena. And Steve's like, it never got as loud in Eugene as it did in Soapot. Soapot, the men's 800 with Marcin Lewandowski and Adam Scott, the polls, the place was rocking. So, you know, we had a great moment, and obviously there's more Americans and probably, you know, there was probably more cheers like that for the thing. But, you know, no one's expecting track and field to be super popular in Poland because they, you know, sold out that meet, you know, and did a great job two years ago. So that was just right. kind of the point that I, I, I think, wanted to make. I mean, yeah, people – also, they don't care if track and field super popular in Poland because there aren't 300 million sort of upper income, or you know, not all of America's upper income, but 300 million people, you know, a big marketing area that's sort of underserved. Whereas, you know, you change the needle in America, it makes a difference. But yeah, big thing, big scheme of things. Uh, sort of the joke was, this is Weldon now. Um, you know, World Indoor is the most successful one ever for the U.S. Uh, in terms of medals. You know, the meet w- was pretty successful. You know, there's a few empty seats a few days, which I'm sure they weren't liked about, but most finals were sold out, very loud crowd. Um, you know, they tried, they're trying new formats for stuff. And then the joke was, so now track's popular in America. And it's like, no, like, I mean, more people go to the rodeo in Fort Worth than they did to World Indoors in Portland. Uh, yeah, we had one day of national TV, but you know, is is downhill skiing super popular in America now? You know, we had the world Indoor, we had the world skiing championships last year, so I, I see the point, Rojo. But wait, you haven't yeah. tied in wrestling. You got to tie in I wrestling haven't. somehow. Okay, guys, are you aware that the NCAA wrestling championships were held last weekend? Yes, I was because I kept seeing promos on uh, ESPN for it. Correct. It was on actually the full ESPN, unlike the NCAA track and field, which is ESPN three online only. Now. John, I'm going to ask you, guess, can you guess the attendance for the NCAA Wrestling Division One Championships? How many days was this? I believe it, there were six sessions. It's three days, I think, of two sessions each. Um, this is like total attendance, then? Total attendance. I'm going to say... I'm guessing you wouldn't talk about it if it wasn't big. I'm going to say 80,000. Total tennis, it was held at Madison Square Garden, which, remember, Millbrook's games had the lead because they couldn't fill the playing up. 110,000 people. They're averaging like 18,000 people a session. And that's for a morning session? Yes. Oh, my God. And the the record was held last year. It's it's not just a New York thing. Last year in St. Louis, um, they they brought in 113,000. In 2011, in, in Philadelphia, they, at the 
you know, the basketball arena there, they had 104,000. So they're regularly, you know, pulling in 15,000 people. I texted John earlier and I said, yeah, I'm talking about wrestling. He's like, as if track's not niche enough. But that's the thing. I think, oh, we should think track should be the super sport. I mean, wrestling's bringing in 18,000 people, and no one expects that to be, you know, popular to the same extent the track and field is maybe in an Olympic year or something like that. Um, so it's just, you know, interesting. You know, I, I, the attendance at the Division One indoor track meet was around 3,500 the first day. Um, you know, so it's just tiny in comparison. And, you know, I, I do think that, I mean, I think it's great that we're having this show. To me, one of the problems in track is just when you go to a sporting event, I mean, I guess wrestling isn't really this example, but a lot of times at a sporting event, you have like a winner and a loser. I mean, for the Brits, it's going to be, is Mo Farah winning or does he lose? And you have, sometimes it's all right to go home disappointed as a fan. And track, the circus aspect of it, with 20 events, you know, you have a winner and a loser over and over and over, and it kind of dilutes the whole message. That's why I think it's fun to promote this, like, one singular event, like the world half. And, you know, if you could almost have, you know, you could just have a, a 5K and just promote that for a full week. You know, instead of when you have 20 events, it's kind of like the marathon of the world championships. No one really pays attention to it like they do the New York City Marathon. So, um, hey, you wrestling, know. you got 20 weight classes. Well, I know. I cannot I know, believe the morning session of wrestling got that many that, people. That's true. Um, so the, the, I actually got some uh, some TV viewing for this stuff. Well, it was on ESPN, which is a big, big help. Um, but they had 655,000 I mean, viewers on the actual ESPN broadcast. And the um, ESPN U broadcast, the only one I could find, had 119,000 viewers. Whereas the, MB, the track on NBC had 191,000 for the two hours that it was on on Sunday. So, um, you know, I mean, the, the wrestling only got a .4 rating. I mean, track's gotten that before, I think. Um, so, but it's just interesting for people who are like, you know, track fans that are wondering why, you know, we should, if we just market the sport, we'll be so much better. Well, you know, these people at all these sports could say that. I mean, wrestling, you know, and I don't think you necessarily even need to be super popular all the time. It's great to have events that are popular. You know, the Preakness Stakes, you know, Preakness Stakes here in, in Baltimore. Not a lot of people are wrestling or are horse racing fans, but once a year, it's a big event to go to. And, you know, if you have, we, if we could have two or three, you know, we've got the pre-classic. If we could have two or three other big events in the U.S. every year, that would be enough. You know, get people, get a TV contract, you know, stuff like that um, would be interesting. So um, I, I just, it kind of blew my mind. I, I, I knew that wrestling was popular, and then I just, I, I knew the NCAA championship has got a big, got a big attendance figure, but I didn't know how big. So once I found that, I wanted to share it with you guys. Hello, you still there? Yep. Oh, All right. sorry about that. Um, I mean, the, the and one thing in comparison, I mean, NCAA track and field in Eugene, um, the four-day attendance last year, which was the second largest in event history, which is 42,000. So, you know, tracks playing in about 10,000 per session, um, an outdoor track in Eugene. You know, whereas the last two years, wrestling's been pulling in 17, 18,000 for two sessions a day in two different random cities. So, you know, kudos to all you wrestling fans out there for supporting your sport. Interesting. I got cut off the call for a minute, but you were talking about wrestling when I hung up and talking about it when I came on. 
Well, um, it's interesting. Was... It's wrestling, wrestling. Wrestling. The. It's a. You know, it's a mostly college sport, but. Uh, you know, I know. For example, like the flow wrestling numbers are bigger than flow track numbers. They're both sort of. Flow track does some pro stuff too, but a lot of ways it's a college site first. Um, but you know, niche. But the thing is, niche niche sports can have their audiences. Um, but to get mainstream, you got to be on TV. You got to keep keep going forward and. So, yes, World Indoors was a success, but we need to keep putting on track meets. Um, I went to the USATF board meeting, and sort of one thing that dawned on me is Max Siegel's, you know, he's bringing in more money. Um, he's done a good job there. People, I'm critical of negotiating, not bidding out the Nike deal, but Nike most likely would have won that deal. I'm critical of the length of the deal, but getting more money is good. But he's not growing the sport in America. We've lost the Diamond League meet, so we need to sort of keep putting on events like this put on another one, um, you know, don't just rely on world indoors. I mean, world outdoors in what, five years, that's what we're just going to wait around for, you know, two Olympic trials in between. Um, you know, we got to keep putting on meets, keep trying to make track meets, not boring. Um, they tried to do that in Portland and other people, when they put on meets, uh, colleges in America, somehow maybe even need to start thinking about like, maybe people will start thinking of track meets, not boring, but you know, did you guys hear saying that that, that, that that there was a USATF official that wouldn't let them do some of the innovative stuff that they did at Worlds at USA's? They said, we're not going to do that. I mean, come on, people. That's ridiculous. We need to make this, you know, it's the same issue when I went to the Millwall Games in 1995 or 1996 with Chris Lear 20 years ago. It just didn't compare to an NBA basketball game. There was no intros and stuff like that. We heard how great Millrose was and we went to it. And we were kind of bored out of our mind. You know, because we didn't know enough about the sport back then to be intrigued by the matchups and the actual action. So, anyways, we probably well, should let people go so they can get their good yeah, Friday yeah. activities in and then uh, get, get up early tomorrow, Saturday morning, and watch this race. We've not gotten your predictions. So, who, who wins it? Farah, Kamora, or, or Kuroki? Well, I mean, I. John and I were the ones that John John wrote the the most of the preview on Let's Run, and then you know I was like we have to pick someone besides Fair, otherwise it's just so boring as a journalist. I mean as a fan, both a fan and journalist. But um, you know one thing that that uh, I think it was you, Walt, says you know why are we picking against Fair? He never loses. And then there was some talk that Fair might be sick. I don't know if you guys saw this press conference thing today. I mean. Um, I don't think we even have it up on the homepage yet, but Ferris said this, I'm more ahead than last year in my training. I'm pretty happy with how training has gone, and Rio is looking good. As long as I stay injury-free, I should be good in Rio. I mean, that's scary. So I, I guess I would say I, I, I don't want to pick him, but it's like I'm stupid if I, not, if I don't, right? I mean, it is twice as far as a 10K, but my goodness. It's not like he hasn't run fast for a half marathon. He's run 59 low, which is pretty darn good. Yeah. I like to root for the underdog where there's beauty and greatness. If he wins this one, it really will help cement his legacy. Um, the race, 10-10 tomorrow, uh, Eastern, AM. Watch it on NBC Sports Live Extra or on the BBC. So any any parting comments from anyone? So our official right. pick is well, going to be who? <laughs> you gave your pick. We can have different different picks. 
Yeah. Check back hourly and watch one. We'll update our picks hourly to drive up traffic. Oh, anyway, we appreciate you guys joining us for the special edition, uh, World Half Marathon edition of Let'sRun.com Track Talk. Please spread the word about this race. That's why we did our splash page. You know, someone's got to be a fight promoter for the sport. Uh, Portland did its fight, did its little bit to make the sport bigger. And, you know, maybe reach out to someone you know who runs, tell them about the great race tomorrow, try to get them to watch it, at least figure out who won. Anyway, we uh, this is Weldon Johnson signing off for Jonathan Dalton and Robert Johnson. Thank you guys for joining us. Until next time.